Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, welcome back to Oz Biz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in for the call. Uh, we cover in the next 60 minutes, uh, 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel for adjudication. It is Tuesday the 29th of November. Boy, there's a lot happening at the moment and uh, markets are just absolutely crushing companies that, uh, that disappoint. Uh, joining us today, uh, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Nathan Sambasandaran from Deep Data Analytics. Morning or just turned afternoon, chaps. Um, Scott Phillips, the market is just ruthless in marking down companies that are performing at the moment. Shitty, city chic, uh, uh, Woodside has been pounded today. It's sort of a bit nervous, is it? Yeah, Koshi, it really is. And I've got to say, I think this is something of an extension of probably, the, I'm going to say the last four earnings seasons, if I say the last two years, roughly, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. But we really have seen the market start to react really severely against some of these businesses that do underperform. It wasn't that the market never cared before previously, but the sheer size, if I spit that out, of some of the falls you mentioned, City Chic, uh, there are plenty of others besides, just the massive, massive drops that we see in the one day falls of a company that doesn't quite do what it said it was going to do. It can be a buying opportunity. It also can be a, uh, a value trap, so be careful. But yeah, the size of these falls for businesses that I think the market should have reasonably expected would have the same sorts of issues that they've, as they've announced. It shouldn't be a surprise yep. in some of these businesses. And I think that's probably the challenge. But the, the sheer, the scale of those falls is, I think, a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, Mason, a great November on the market and everyone's going, oh, you beauty, the Santa rally in December. It's going to be sensational. All of a sudden, we've hit the skids coming into December. Yeah, I thought we might have had a bit of a pullback in November uh, to set up for the Santa rally. Um, so that would have made sense because we tend to be having, I mean, we're in a bear market. We tend to have a up, up month and a down month and up month and down month, that kind of a uh, I suppose the volatility and uh, it's it is being volatile and Scott's right I think the market in the last year has been uh, much more aggressive it's simply because of the yield uh, I mean you have to remember we were looking at zero bond yields uh, for a number of years and then suddenly it's gone to four percent so the relative valuation uh, really puts it into question so there's a lot of people paid a lot of uh, multiples for growth that wasn't great and wasn't really structural it was more because of stimulus. Now things starting to normalize, a lot of those growth expectations are disappearing and the market suddenly is realizing the multiples could be a lot lower and that's where the panic is coming mm. from. So I don't think that's going to change. I think if you disappoint, especially in crowded trades and CDC Chic is a classic one. I mean, about a year, year and a half ago, just about every small cap fund was in it. Yeah. So these kind of crowded trades, when they turn, it gets ugly. Really ugly. Um Let's look at the five stocks we were uh, we're going to cover in this half hour. Then we'll get into an ugly stock of the day. 
Bluebet, Incitec Pivot, Sightminder, Lindsay Australia, and Nanosonics are up first in the first half. Uh, stock of the day I picked, uh, talk about having an ugly day, Collins Foods, shares down 17% today on the back of uh, a near 60% drop in half-year net profit. Company declaring fully frank dividend, 12 cents a share. Uh, company says margin pressure expected to remain for the balance of FY23. Of course, Collins Foods owns uh, the KFC chain, Taco Bell. Um, Scott absolutely hammered today. KFC doing all right. Taco Bell disappointing. Um, 16, almost 17% down in a day. Is this one of those companies that present a buying opportunity? That's a really good question, Koshi. Ooh. Very possibly. So let's kind of wind back a little bit. I got to say, man, I think the Taco Bell experiment in Australia is a terrible idea. Now, I'm no fast food guru, so other people know more than me. They've, they've tried it before. Um, if you've had Taco Bell around the rest of the world, it's really, really low quality fast food. And realistically, some people would say that's an oxymoron, but even in the fast food world, there is just an absolute, I was just holding it, I said, uh, there's, there's an absolute, uh, you know, so many better options around when it comes yep. to, to fast food. But I think, the, I think, honestly, I think the experiment's silly. But uh, the revenue problem isn't the issue for Collins. The issue is inflation and cost pressures. And they talked about that uh, both before and now during the current year. And again, this is what I kind of alluded to before. Nobody should be surprised by this. You know, if we're yep. all tightening our belts, a fast food going to get a bigger share of the wallet? Probably, yeah, because we trade down from restaurants or something else. Domino's, I own shares. Domino's will probably do okay. These guys will do okay revenue-wise. But if you look below that and say, hang on, if you're a relatively low-margin retailer, if you're selling products that are, you know, have significant cost pressure, you're probably going to look at those. Remember Macca's did that $1 menu not long ago? That, that's where you're going to go. So you're already probably trading down the average customer because they need to. But you've got massive cost pressures. You've got food cost pressures, wage cost pressures, energy, transport, all that kind of stuff. I Again, my point is probably just I'm surprised that people are surprised. You look at that and say, well, what else did you think was going to happen? Was, was, was Collins going to somehow be able to dodge this particular bullet? So to Nathan's point, they were probably too expensive to start with, quite honestly. We've looked at it a couple of times over the past few months and just gone, no, too hard at that price. So probably an overestimate of what they could achieve, I think, for many investors, and when the when the, the share price and the PEs are that high, you say, well, very probably the problem. So maybe the fall itself isn't the issue. Maybe where it was where the price was previously. But again, you look at some of these falls and just think to yourself, I don't know what the market was otherwise expecting. It, it just seems crazy that this wouldn't have been the outcome for Collins in the event it was, in the event the market was surprised. And I guess as stock pickers, that is the opportunity, right? Sometimes just avoiding the stuff that's overpriced, other times trying to find value. Is it worth buying now? Look, I don't think so just yet. I think it's very reasonable that the shares are worth less in the environment, as I said, the market should have already known. But it's still what's probably 17-ish times earnings, depending on how this rolls out. And by the way, their outlook is for continued margin pressure. It's not cheap enough. It's come down. Right. Just because a stock falls doesn't mean it was great value if it wasn't good value before. It was overvalued before. Maybe it's just fairish value now. I think that's probably my best guess. Fairish is about the best I can say for it. Uh, but this is one the market got way too excited about. Well, well, did well avoiding it. Uh, but I think probably still want to leave on the sidelines for a while yet. Okay. If you're in it, do you hold on or get out and look elsewhere? Oh, you probably had some big losses. I Here's the challenge for all this stuff, mate. I, mean, I say this regularly when we talk about this thing. Yeah. You, you know, if there are better options out, do, do I think it's going to fall dramatically from here? No, probably not. But I, again, I'm not making predictions. Do I think it's going to be one of the best 25 stocks in the ASX in the next 12 months? Right. No. Yeah. So it, it is a really challenging one, right? If you, if you want to maximize your returns, 
you go and find the best companies at the best prices. I don't think Collins fits that okay. bill just now. All right, Nathan. Yeah, Colin Foods was one of the few that um, underperformed after it flew floated, and it struggled to in the first six months. I think they had a shocker with the Rugby World Cup. They blamed that people weren't eating KFC, uh, and it underperformed. And usually after that, they tend to underperform for a long time. This one actually went against the trend and did really well. Um, they bought a number of franchises. They've done really well. But, geez, Scott's right. This is underperformed. It's in a downgrade cycle. You can see similar stocks. I mean, you think of things like dominoes and so forth, and you can see all the cost pressures that are coming through. So this is not really a shock. Uh, but the interesting part about it is it is one of the market darlings. Because it's done well, people are being trained by central banks to buy the dip. So every time something falls down, it goes, oh, this used to be a good stock, so I'll buy it. But the thing that you have to remember is everyone's looking at the last couple of years when every stock ran up on stimulus. So the, if you look at the share price, it actually ran up before the result. It, you know, it actually surpassed pre-pandemic highs. So if you look at it over, say, three, five years, you'll see just before the pandemic crash, we actually went above that. So in reality, if you remove the last two years of delusionary pricing, the no, pre-peak yeah. multiple price was, you know, just over 10 bucks and we ran yeah. past that. Yeah. So you were pricing in a fair bit there. So I, I think once you got there, the risk was that it underperforms and gets hammered and it's happened again. Um, is it cheap? I think Scott's bang on in the context that it's a good quality business in a bad macro cycle. Yes, are they good at executing, but it's going to be tough. So I don't think it's going to outperform too much. I think this thing will run into another selling around 10 bucks. So you're buying a 10, 15% upside that's got a lot of macro risk working against it. So I think it struggles for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, as good as management is, it's really tough. Yep. And if you're picking 20 stocks, this wouldn't be there. Okay. All right. Um, Marco wants to know, Maitham, would Bluebet be there? The, uh, uh, the sports and race betting service, um, one of a number listed on the market. What do you think of Bluebet? Oh, geez, two years ago, can you, you know, it, it was the hottest sector. You buy anything. I mean, PointsBet was the leader. Yep. Everyone else followed them. And you just buy everything inside and everything ran up until uh, they don't. Um, and then once the bond yields ran and people started to actually look at profits, uh, <coughs> thanks for coming. And it's been smashed. All of them have been bashed up. Um, they've come back hard. Um, and there's still there's quite a few people in there. There's a lot of competition. Um, you know, the market used to love updates about um, them going into new regions. Now the market doesn't even care. Yeah. Um, so in that context, we're in a different market. It's a value market, not a growth market. Uh, the factors that are working are profitability, um, growth, um, and dividends. And these stocks are not going to do any of that for a while. So it's a growth story that you have to pay up for. And there was a time when the market was willing to pay for it. It's not anymore. Um, when you got bond yields near 4%, you need to be pulling in profits. You need to be having a balance sheet. You need to be able to deliver growth consistently. So I think that cycle is over for now. You almost, at the moment, you'll be going against the market trend to support growth stocks at the early stage at this point. It's a tough play. I don't think this is a cycle you want to be jumping into no. any of those stocks in that sector. Yeah. It... Um Scott, it was one of those, Maitham was saying, those glory stocks had some yep. uh, some sort of betting and racing royalty involved in it, but uh, mm. that doesn't count for anything anymore, does it? 
It doesn't, mate, when you can't deliver profits and when the market is getting tougher on those businesses that can't find them. And that's the key challenge for Bluebet. It was, as, as Nathan said, one of the cool kids. Um, it's a reminder, you know, like, it's a really good case study, I think, of, of thinking about how you are investing in any market, but particularly this market. Is what, what, is the, what is the strategy you're bringing to the table? Now, I'm not a momentum investor. I'm not a technicals investor. I don't care about share price charts. Others do, and that's great. That's not my, not my thing. When it comes to that, then you've got to ask yourself, okay, what am, what am I investing for? What was I expecting? What am I seeing now? And on a fundamental basis, Bluebet is an absolute minnow in a global, just, you know, death match between some of the biggest, biggest players in the world and some of the locals, by the way, also trying their hand at maximizing their space in this, in this category. So it's one thing to say there's a lot of money going into this area, and there is. There's another thing to say that, well, you know, technology is going to be a key driver of future success, and that is true. But we've seen so many of these second tier, let alone these kind of fourth, fifth, sixth tier bookies end up having to merge, be taken over, shut down, bought out, because there's just not enough space for all of them. It's a really, really crowded space. They are spending a small squillion dollars on advertising. Um, God help the, the, you know, the pay TV and the freeway networks if, if these guys ever stop advertising, because it's just wall to wall, desperately trying to grab my money, your money, someone else's money, trying to join their platform rather than somebody else's. And you look at Bluebet and say, well, where is their the point of difference, where are they going to do differently to attract those customers? Now, on one hand, you can look at that and say, this is an $80 million business. It doesn't need to do much at all to, to do okay from here. A little bit of growth, a little bit of disruption, a tiny bit of market share. And you can see this move meaningfully. And that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to say it's definitely not going to be higher at some future point, six, 12, 18 months time, because it just doesn't need much. When you're this small, the odds are against you, by the way, but if you can find a way to find yourself a niche, grab a little bit of momentum, as in business, not share price, um, get a few people on board, you can move the needle, move it reasonably quickly and significantly from such a tiny, tiny size. So I'm not going to say it can't do well from here. What I would say is given, as I've just said, those first, second, third tier players all desperately battling it out with advertising budgets that are larger than Bluebet's market cap. I mean, that's the size of the prize Mm. here. It's not like Bluebet are disrupting a sleepy old industry. Amazon in 97, I own shares. Uh, took on Walmart. Walmart said, I don't care. I'm not going to bother. Don't worry. I mean, this e-commerce thing's not going to work. Amazon had the feel to itself for five years. This time around, everyone is online. Everyone is advertising. Everyone's trying to do things differently, get people in the door. It's a branding exercise at some point. And if you take that as the starting point, and I think it is, then those with the biggest advertising budgets right. probably get most of the new customers. So okay. I don't think it's uh, one worth buying or holding, but I can't promise it's not going to go up just because it doesn't take much to go up, but it would be a complete speculation if you were to buy it at this price. Okay. All right. Uh, Sharon wants to view uh, Scott on Incitec Pivot, the big fertilizer and chemical uh, business. Been in the mm. news a bit lately. Of course, there was the uh, um, talk that it was going to spin off its fertilizer division. Now is not going to do it uh, and is looking to sell its big manufacturing plant in the United States instead. Um, what mm. do you think of Incitec Pivot? This is a really difficult one, actually mostly for the reasons you've already identified, Koshi. The, the business that we're potentially buying or at least considering is a business that has very, very I say volatile, I don't mean that in an explosive sense, but uh, I'll, I'll take the pun if you want to give it to me. Uh, you know, it's a very volatile business to try and identify because it, firstly, it's super cyclical. Secondly, those parts of the business it may or may not get rid of for, for a price that's currently unknown, make it really, really tough to, to evaluate. Lastly, the profit growth in the last year was spectacular. It's trading on 7.7 times earnings, but it's about double that when you compare it against last, oh, sorry, fiscal 20s earnings, 21's earnings, sorry, uh, because 
it had a really, really great year last year. Now, the question for investors is, what do you use as the baseline to understand, to analyze, to value this business? If you say, well, last year was unusual year and future earnings go back to where they were, then this is a 15 odd times uh, earnings business. Not super expensive, not particularly cheap. If those earnings can be continued at last year's level, then all of a sudden you're buying a single digit PE business that even though it's cyclical, may well be, you know, you're buying at such a cheap price, it may still well be worth buying over the long term. The challenge, as I said, is there's just too many unknowns for, for Instech Pivot at the moment. We know what it does, we know how well it does, but what will the future look like? That's a big, big open mark, open question. When I look at cyclical businesses, I try and look at what I call through the cycle earnings or average cyclical earnings, average cycle earnings, call it what you want. You wanna say, right, if I'm gonna own this for five years, seven years, 10 years, what is the average level of earnings likely to be over that period? Knowing that sometimes it'd be below that, sometimes it's above, don't get carried away with either extreme, work out what you're gonna get overall over that period of time. But I just don't think you can do it at this point. I think that the numbers are too messy. The future of the business, what it might own, what it might not own, what the earnings of that business might look like, how the market might treat a business that's now split up. If it does sell off that manufacturing business in the US, I just think it's it's, it's just way right. too difficult. And sometimes yep. in investing, I don't know is a perfectly fine answer. So I'm gonna say, I don't know. If I owned it and I owned it for the right reasons, I probably wouldn't sell it. I don't think it's expensive, but I don't feel confident enough to say to people, go and buy this because it will be a market beater. I just, it, I don't think that, that I don't think you can have that foresight given the circumstances the company's in right now. Fair enough. Uh, Nathan, as we saw on the five-year chart, almost at a five-year high, uh, it's, you've been banging on it about it for a while as part of your, your ag thematic, your food thematic. Um, is it just, as Scott's saying, a bit too confusing now to find out where it's going? Um, yeah, look, I, I agree on that context. Um, I think it is uh, getting a bit more messier um, to value, uh, but I like it partly because of that. I think uh, most people find it too hard. I think the thematic still holds on the food side and the fertilizer play, the explosive side of things, uh, you know, part of the pun. The valuations are pretty cheap. It could explode. Uh, so there's M&A potential in that part. So that's yeah. a gain that's been on the shopping list so that could potentially um, release some value uh, the fertilizer side of things are doing really well um, and you've got a lot of energy issues with their competitors in Europe so there's definitely high prices for fertilizer that's probably going to be there for longer a lot longer than what market thinks remember the market picked the peak in um, agri stocks I think three years ago two years ago one year ago and now so they've been wrong for a number of years and I suspect the food thematic is going to hold up even longer and they'll be wrong again. Um, but in as far as where it is trading to what it is, I think it's still, now it's pretty pretty well priced. I don't think it's expensive. I don't think it's cheap. Uh, the numbers look cheap because everyone knows in the current cycle it's doing well. So the analyst, um, as you do, uh, straight line extrapolation uh, makes it look like it's cheap. So I always worry when stocks that are doing well have cheap multiples. You know, I like the stock. <laughs> that's why it worries me because when you've got cheap multiples that means everyone likes it right um, so you have to be a bit careful there i think the valuations are pretty well done i think most people know the stock i don't think you're going to get a surprise factor here i think it still holds up well in the current macro so i'm not scared um, and in a market where underperformance can be <laughs> treated very very badly mm. uh, i'm actually comfortable holding this stock because it's got a few ponies running for you um, but I wouldn't put fresh money in it because at the moment I think you're relatively well priced. 
But look, if they do a divestment, I think that'll be taken as another positive. It'll improve the balance sheet and hence it'll probably go higher. So that's why I'm comfortable holding, but it's a hold. I wouldn't say put right. fresh money in. Okay. All right. Uh, our next stock, uh, Tim wants to view uh, Mathan on SiteMinder, the, uh, basically the hotel commerce platform is that they hope um, help hotels uh, manage their admin and, and digital and uh, put their properties onto the, on the online platforms? Yeah, we talked about this, I think, um, when it first uh, split out yeah. and it was going to be floated. Uh, and uh, I think we were very skeptical then and I'm still skeptical now. Um, the first lesson, it's a bit like what we were talking about calling foods before. When you get an IPO that underperforms in the first six months, statistically speaking, run. Uh, and that has been proven again. Um, and when you've got private equity floating something, run. <laughs> it's been proven again. Um, it's a tough play. It's a tough sector. I think people got too excited. That was a perfect time to float. And uh, as we have learned over time, when things come to the market, generally it it's, comes in at the peak cycle and you tend to struggle. Um, unless you have a, a pretty good growth story that's going to hold up against the cycle. So I think it's a tough one in this market. Um, if you know, if you look at the market darlings like realestate.com struggling, um, <laughs> these guys will have a tough play. Yeah. I actually like, I mean, we've talked about Camplify, similar kind of thematic, uh, but in a different space. But, you know, all of those guys are struggling. Um, so in this market, I think it's going to be tough. And I'm looking for guys who've got a model that's going to withstand the cycle. I mean, REA is the top of the top in that category. And Camplify is the, the other one that I think it's getting, it's pulled back enough that I think it's worthwhile looking at. Again, I think it provides that platform type approach to the tech growth story. So those are the ones that tend to hold against the cycle. So I'm looking at that sideminder for me. It no. doesn't provide that uh, model that I'm looking for. Okay. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't disagree with Mathan, but from a slightly different angle. So probably two reasons to to avoid Sightminder. Here's the thing: it's a it's almost always eight hundred and twenty odd million dollar market cap, down a lot, but still remarkably expensive for a business that hasn't yet proven itself to be worth that sort of market cap. It's very much a question. Look, we've talked about others in this space. Um, we talked about Bluebet to start with, and we've talked over the last well, weeks and months now about what's happening with tech companies. If there is a, um, a re-rating across the sector or across the style of the theme, then these companies might all do relatively well just yeah. because if the market rediscovers growth, there might just be a tide that lifts all boats here. And that's and, when and interest rates come down, is it? And, and uh, economies stabilise and, and start to grow. I think it's, it's that, from a, that from a fundamental basis, but I think it's even bigger than that. I think it's just straight out sentiment. Oh, I think there'll be a, yeah, yeah. I think we'll look back and we'll look at say November 2022, and we'll say at that point there were this proportion of those growth or tech stocks that were, you know, worth less than they used to be for very, very good reasons. They are terrible businesses. The market got carried away. They should never be worth that much. We'll look at others and say, oh my goodness, can you believe we had the opportunity to buy these companies in right. November 22 at that price? Yeah. Um, separate to the fundamentals, just because the market said, I hate these things. Remember, everyone hates to, to make this point, you know, the, the opposite of the crowded trade is the, is the abandoned trade, right? And so <laughs> when everybody hates these things, everybody hates them, then it doesn't take much for sentiment to swing, even yeah. in, in anticipation of those fundamentals. Good point you make too, mate, because it's important to remember, by the time the market's priced all that in, even before it turns up, it's too late. So if, yeah. if rates are going to go down in, uh, let's, pick a, let's pick something for fun. Let's say they start going down in November next year. 
the market will have probably priced it in by May, maybe June, something like that. And so in you know, August, September, October, we're saying, hey, maybe we should get ready for that. It's going to have been too late. So I think it's sentiment first and foremost, but on, on very reasonable fundamentals, at least conceptually, what will probably happen is some businesses will be sold off exactly as they should be because they were always, you know, kind of a rising tide lifted all boats. On the flip side, when the market abandons those terrible businesses or just the overvalued ones, it'll drag the others down too. So as the sentiment shifts, if and when it does, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of these businesses do well, irrespective of their fundamentals almost, just because the market says, oh, that's right, we overreacted on the way down, let's fix that overreaction. You may see you know, increases in share prices just because the market changes its mm. mood far more than what the companies themselves do. Sideminder itself, look, it's, it's a, it's a well-utilized product, a very popular product. Um, it's, it's, there's a very clear case for it, a very clear reason for being. The reality of the share price falls we've seen is because the market ha- doesn't know how to value this one easily and simply because it's simply making a loss. And that's, to, to Nathan's point before about Instec being under, underappreciated or misunderstood, that's both an opportunity and a risk because it wasn't any less or more profitable 12 months ago when the price was what double what it is now. Um, so, you know, as we, as we see the other side of that same story, we're looking at the same business with largely, frankly, the same outlook. In fact, if anything, the, the return to tourism around the world's probably given it a bit of a, a fundamental mm. improvement, if anything at all. Um, and yet, we're looking at a business that's gone, meaning, you know, share price fallen meaningfully and still saying, how do you value a business making no yeah. money? So yeah. I am th- glad we've moved away from those ridiculous price to sales ratios that people were paying. I think it was dumb. It was self-referencing a bit like executive remuneration. You know, Jack gets paid more, so Jill wants more. Jill gets paid more, so Jack wants more. And around and around we go. Um, that was kind of happening with tech and it was silly. So yeah. back to a fundamental base I think is important. <coughs> Excuse me. I wouldn't be at all surprised if it goes up from yep. here, but I can't pay $800 million for a business with no profit. Yep. And just using the valuation, a multiple of revenue just seems weird. And that, <laughs> that that's a boom time multiple that no one uses ever, is it? It's, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Wait for it. Wait for this one. It's the price to projected adjusted revenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not seeing that anymore, that's for sure. Uh, Scott, uh, Peter wants a view on something a bit more traditional, Lindsay Australia. It's a transport logistics <laughs> yeah. company, um, but is in that refrigerated agricultural type area, more, more a specialist transport logistics company. What do you think of Lindsay? This is fascinating, Kosh, and I've got to say, I really appreciate the question because one I haven't spent too much time looking yeah. at before I tend to dislike high capital intensity businesses as a matter of course because they do tend to earn, they do tend to struggle to earn superior returns. Just you simply have to put more money in every time you want to grow the business, and that's generally not a great uh, story when it comes to operating leverage and growing profits quickly. So I, I'm I'm not generally a fan of, of Lindsay. A couple things going for it. Firstly, it's pretty cheap, twelve odd times earnings. So that's a really nice starting point. Second is uh, Solpats, Washington H Solpatens, and I'm a shareholder of theirs. Um, they own nineteen percent of this business. Uh, BKO Investment mm. Company, a related entity, owns another 5 yeah. or so percent. Uh, Lindsay himself owns another 5% on top of that. So it's reasonably tightly held by some some investors I, I really respect and, and admire. So that's a that's a good one-two punch. And then generally the growth they're getting at a revenue and a profit line have also been really strong over the past year. So it, fundamentally, this kind of comes together really, really nicely. I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it, but it, it does start to look pretty good. There are remaining questions about, of course, the cost and, and margins on transport across the country. There are questions about how much of the cost or the, the freight transport uh, costs have been passed on in prices and whether there's been some margin expansion that maybe won't be able to be sustained when fuel prices fall. I think that's an open question worth answering. And then, of course, just Lindsay itself as an operating business, 
is very reliant mm. on winning contracts, and it's a very, very cutthroat business. Trucking, uh, we all know that you know the the, uh, the the pressures from the big truckers, particularly thinking about the Woolies and Coles, the big customers, but plenty of others besides, largely food and other manufactured goods. Yep, it's really, really brutal. Very, very tough margin business. So, look, I I don't know it well enough to say it's a buy just yet. What I would say, I would probably, if I owned it, I would definitely hold it. I wouldn't be selling. I am I am cautiously optimistic that I think this one is probably a business that can make some money for shareholders over the long term. Uh, I assume it's going to be cyclical, economic downturn, less goods being sent around the country, which saw retail sales were negative. Um, yesterday, the numbers came out for October. Yeah. Now, that's in price terms, not in volume terms, but still a potential challenge. So I would be very keen to keep an eye on this one. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it's not even a buy now, but if the price was to fall from here, I definitely need to make probably one of the top echelon potential buy candidates. Okay. Um, Maiton, it's had a great year on the market, hasn't it? You look at those share prices broken out from that 30 cent band and doubled. Yeah, it's a, it's a micro cap business that's tough to play if you don't have the liquidity, so for fund managers. Right, okay. But I'm actually surprised to find that a couple of brokers cover it. So it's actually not a unknown sector or unknown stock. Um, I think Mark is well aware of it. Um, it's had a really good year. Um, Soul Pants would give it credibility, though, wouldn't it? That's wouldn't right. It? That's right. Uh, I think Scott's bang on there. I think you, if you're playing this one, I think the safe way to play it is through Soul Pats, and yeah. <laughs> we like Soul Pats. Uh, so I think in that thematic, I think I would play it through that. I think the earnings have been boosted by what's happened in the last couple of years with logistics and transport requirements yeah. and what's happening with food issues, with weather. They've had to move things around. So it's been a perfect wave that's worked for them. Um, it's well-run business, but it's, uh, you know, it's a cyclical. So we've had a great cycle and yeah. we're going to have slower cycles. So uh, the reality is there's a lot of businesses around that the market does not understand how cyclical they are. I mean, one of the classic examples is everyone forgets that Transurban is a cyclical. <laughs> it's, yeah. It earns most of its money on trucks running through the, uh, their motorways. So if people are not buying stuff, there's less trucks which means less money for them. So it's one of those things where you have to understand it's just the cycle is bigger for them, that's all. And everything rotates through cycles. So this is going to have a tougher cycle coming and I wouldn't be buying it in here. You know, the, the bigger guys are bought in early, they've done well, if it comes back, it's not gonna worry them. If you're going in now, I think you're near the, uh, the peak for now. I think the cycle's done so well. The multiple looks okay, mainly because people have a very so high So would you take profits? I'd be taking profit for a retail investor. I'd be taking profit uh, because when, if while well, we think there's a definite market risk over the next six months, and right. in that scenario, you've got to be careful. So you take you, you take profits on it and put it into sole pads. That's that's the smart thing okay. to do. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Maiden Jimmy wants a view on uh, Nanosonics, the uh, what do they call it? infection prevention company? They sort of disinfect. Yeah. Um, surgical um, instruments in in hospitals with their their trophon, isn't it? There is the um, uh, the technique uh, up nine percent, ten percent recently. Odd minute have got behind it. Yeah, I think I, I think I actually know the analyst. I used to work with him. Um, and now, um, in the context of Nanasonic, it's it's a really good business model. I mean, you don't really want to know what they do, uh, but the important thing is. Um, what they do is important for the hospital because it, it, the way they, where basically they kill off germs. So if 
most of the time it doesn't matter but when it doesn't work it can create a huge issue for the hospital yep. so in that context what they do is huge um, the thing about it is um, it's getting into the US especially it's, this is the US play and it's about getting into the hospital system it's really tough to sell anything into hospitals and building a brand and they did that um, and you know they did it a lot faster than I thought uh, and they got in there so now they're trying to do more products and get it into the hospital system so that should help them but these products have been coming for a while the market's got yeah. bored waiting and you know as we all know when new things are coming it always takes longer than what it looks uh, and because it's a massive growth story the multiple is you don't want to look at the multiple it's huge right uh, even when it pulls back it's huge but you're paying for the so it's insane i mean you, you don't worry about multiples on this stock this is a growth stock but it is an interesting growth stock um, and i think management is very good at executing it's taken long so the management's taken a bit of a hit and on that hence the share prices come back now Every so often you're going to get a bounce because the market is trying to predict when the next lot of products come through and how quickly they can get it out into the hospital system. And I think, you know, given their track record and they have done well, I would be backing them, but they have delayed and that's hurting their share price. So you're not there for a quick play. It is high risk. It's a growth stock. This is not a market for this kind of stock, but they're so good that you're willing to take yeah. the risk. I would say you've got to take a speculative play, put a bid in, see how they go. If they execute and they get into and they get new products out and get into the market, then you go for them because okay. they will execute. But in the short term, I don't know how that's going to play out. So put a bid in and see how it goes. Uh, Scott? Yeah, I like Nathan's uh, Nathan's suggestion here. I think look, I'm a different investor, right? So I'm not trying to play the trend necessarily in a given market. I'm looking five plus years out and saying, really, today's shares are cheap relative to what the value will look like in that period of time. There may well be fluctuations in the meantime. But I don't disagree with the conclusion because this is one, it's a, uh, I've got 350 times earnings to, to make this point about being a ridiculous multiple. Yeah. Here's the challenge for a business like Nanasonic. So it's different to the others because it's, it's absolutely profitable at the gross margin level. It's choosing to redeploy that profit, a little bit like zero and others, into growing the business. In this case, both sales and marketing, but also R&D for a potential new device. And that means you've got to look not just at the reported profits, but at the underlying profitability, the earnings power of a business like this. Now, you may never see it. They could waste all this money on sales and marketing. They could waste millions on fruitless R&D that never comes to anything. And we'll say, well, should have looked at the reported profit. So it's a higher risk stock than most others for exactly that reason, particularly because it's already expensive. This is not an up-and-comer $80 million company like Bluebet. Um, yeah. it's, it's a very big business, uh, but that profit is, is meaningfully and deliberately depressed by that reinvestment the company's doing. So you've got to keep that on mind. So Nathan's point, he's absolutely right. Selling into hospitals has been devilishly hard over the past almost three years now. Um, I think that'll start to change next year as things just get back to some degree of normal, although we've seen in China, normal's still a while away. Uh, but I think over time, this is a business that can continue to grow. Their treatment is the gold standard. It is literally the standard of care, which has a particular medical definition in a lot of jurisdictions around the world. It remains, I think, the gold standard, as I said, for infection control mm -hmm. in this particular area right around the world. So that does all go well for them. And of course, remember, they don't only just sell the machine, they sell the consumables, the liquids that go into the machines. Yeah. So you've got this razor and blade model, you sell the machine once, and you continue to sell and replenish that, that particular consumable. So I like Nanasonics as well. It is definitely a higher risk buy for me, but it's still a buy. Okay. All right. Have a nibble at it. All right. Let's recap the uh, the first five stock, stock of the day, Collins Food. I just noticed on the ticker, it's down 20% now. Um, so being hammered in the market. 
uh, no from both Scott and Maitland. Blue bet the same. I uh, know. Intertech pivot. Um, uh, a no from Scott if you are in it, uh, probably hold it. Uh, it's a, certainly a hold from Maitland. Uh, Sightminder, a no from both. Uh, Maitland prefers sort of Camplify or REA if you want to uh, look in that sector. Um, Lindsay, uh, a hold from Scott. Take profits from Maitham because it's at a five-year high, a big five-year high, and maybe, maybe recycle those profits into Sol Pattinson, which owns 19% of uh, Lindsay, and both agree to have a bit of a nibble at Nanosonics, remembering it is speculative. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own high-conviction fantasy growth fund, as chosen by our investment committee, the last November committee meeting up on the platform at the moment, osbiz.com, a new one coming up shortly. Uh, going into November, uh, Incidec Pivot was removed, replaced by Seven Group Holdings. Uh, the weighty of mineral resources was trimmed. Uh, that trimming was added to JB Hi-Fi and Wes Farmers weightings. And since the 1st of March, uh, the return is up 8%. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets, consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, this half hour, we're going to take a look at Suncorp, Trajan, um, Ramsey Health, GUD Holdings and Tabcorp. Um, Nathan, uh, let's have a look at Suncorp. Sarah wants your view on that. Uh, look, I'm a big fan of the insurance sector and Suncorp is your, your half-half bank and uh, insurance. So it's kind of weird because I'm negative on the banks, positive on the insurance. So right. you get a bit of both. Um, so in that context, I think they're... So, they're so does that cancel it out with Suncorp? <laughs> it is a bit like that. Uh, it's like I, I argue with myself. Um, but in that context, I think uh, Suncorp's solid. I think it'll hold up. The Queensland exposures should be pretty decent. It plays well, um, but I, I just don't think it's going to be doing anything too much. So it's really a hold. It's, I mean, I think the bank sector is overvalued for where they are. I think the, the usual cycle will pull them back. I think the insurance sector is benefiting from obviously um, rising premium cycle and higher yield. Uh, but I think part of that is already in the price. I think most of them that have just bounced back, you know, all insurance stocks have had a, a decent bounce. And so you know, valuations are not cheap anymore. So in that context, I think Suncorp is not exciting at the moment. And when you're picking 10, 20 stocks, if you're picking a financial, you want it to be cheap. You want to get the multiple discount for the cycle up because they're not, you know, it's like we look at some of these stocks, they can run 50%, 100%, 200%. Suncorp's not going to do that for you. So right. in that context, you want to buy the multiple at, at a discount and it's not at a discount anymore. So uh, if you're there, I think it's a hold. It's a good business. I don't think it's going to blow up or anything. But yeah, if I'm buying with fresh money, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Scott? I'm probably a little bit more bearish than Method, actually, but for the same reasons. Um, it's a very tough insurance market, despite premiums increasing. We're seeing across the world and certainly across the country, costs are increasing even faster because of the inflation that's going on. I was reading uh, a bit of some 
this is my how exciting my life is. Some old Warren Buffett Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letters from I think it was the <laughs> early seventies, might have been mid seventies. And he talks about the, the, the insurance premium cycles in a world, maybe in the late 70s actually, throughout the insurance premium cycles in, in the wake of higher inflation. Now, it's been 40 years since we had that, to the benefit of being a bit older, having a bit less hair, um, is you know reading back some of that history, we know what happened during that period of time. And you did see insurance uh, payouts escalate faster than premiums could keep up because of that inflation growth. Now, I'm not going to predict inflation into the future, but you say, okay, that's one level of risk. Second, as Nathan said, this is an expensive business price-wise. I don't think it's particularly attractive. And I also don't, think Suncorp is necessarily a particularly great insurer. I don't know any in Australia are particularly fantastic. IAG probably top of the pops, but uh, none have covered themselves in glory over the long term. So, uh, you know, there are many better ideas out there. I don't expect it to hold up with the market. I think Nathan's right about the finance companies being largely overvalued. So if I owned it, I'd be selling it and putting the money somewhere else. Okay. Um, Scott, uh, Charlie wants a view on Trajum. Um it says it operates in the global analytic science industry um, in a manufacturer of analytical and life sciences products and devices, has 520 people, six manufacturing sites, US, Australia, Europe and Malaysia. And I was thinking, what the hell do they do? But by the look of it, going to their website, when, when you see in the movies all of these scientists in labs, they're making the machines that the scientists are peering into. Yeah, that, that's pretty right, Koshi. And also some tests, um, some very small quantity testing they're doing at the moment too. Uh, so trying that, that kind of micro-testing, and if that sounds like Theranos, you're on the right track, although oh. uh, obviously Trajan is not Theranos in terms of the, what happened in the end. But that kind of micro-testing idea, the idea, and this is a really, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to hear Nathan's thoughts on this actually, because I'm not necessarily a thematic or a trend investor, but if you think about where we're going with life sciences, the ability and the willingness to test more, more regularly for more diseases, uh, I, mm. I fully expect, you know, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years time, we're all doing many, many more tests. We get a much earlier diagnosis of both chronic and particularly important things like cancer, chronic diseases as well. So it makes a whole lot of sense. I imagine this is the way we probably will go as a society. We're all getting tested more frequently for more things. It's easier to do, cheaper to do. Remember sequencing the genome was, you know, the first time yeah. it was done cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Now you can do it on a desktop computer. Um, yeah. That same trend, I think, is going to play out here. But... Does that make Trajan worth buying? I think that's what they're trying to tell us. They're trying to tell us, hey, we're cool, we're funky, we're exciting. Come and invest with us. We're trying to change the world. They actually might. And this is always the challenge with any biotech. We normally talk about drug development or delivery. In this case, we're talking about testing. But that same trend um, is absolutely, I think, the right trend to think about over the next 20, 25 years. It doesn't mean that this company will be at the forefront or, even if it is, the shells will make any money. So you're a couple of steps back from it, but the idea, I think, is the, and the theme is probably the right one. I just simply can't say Trajan is worth buying at the moment. 40 times earnings. Uh, look, it's making some good strides. The momentum is pretty good. I wouldn't rule it out. If you own it, you probably own it because you're super excited about, hopefully, the facts, mm. not just the story. Um, so I wouldn't run away from it if I owned it. Uh, and I do think it's one you absolutely want to keep an eye on because it wouldn't take much for this sort of large scale stuff to start to take off. Mm. Of course, the flip side is we got super excited about COVID testers and that all fell over as well with, uh, I think it was HealthScope most recently saying, actually, turns out things aren't going to be quite as exciting and, and, and testing is <laughs> quite as high as we expected. So it can be it can be a bit cyclical. It will be very lumpy. Keep an eye on it, but I wouldn't buy it today. Nathan? Yeah, you had me at biotech. Uh, the minute <laughs> someone says the word biotech, uh, I get sucked in. Um, it, it, it is a, it, look, it's a, it's a thematic that, is obvious. Uh, we have a demographic challenge. Uh, we have really high healthcare costs. 
So it makes sense to have processes and technology that will help us do mass testing, reduce cost on the system. All of those things are logical. Uh, but as an investor who's been in the market for a number of decades, one thing you learn is when it's all BS trend, it never makes money. <laughs> and you know, in Australia, you, you, you know that you know, the two things that everyone tells you are tourism or you know, health, aged care. You'll make millions. And guess what? Everyone lost money yeah. uh, in almost every stock in that, those two sectors. So the obvious thematics very rarely play out. But it is an interesting thematic. It's, I think there's a number of people playing in it. Um, it's just hard to work out who's going to come out on top. Uh, the, the, the other macro thing to remember is we're in an inflationary cycle. So costs are going to go up for most of these guys running these tests, coming up with new products, it's going to cost even more and more wages, all of those things will play into it. So they'll be raising money through the cycle. The other thing to remember is in a reflation cycle where inflation is going up, commodities do well. Because of the risk return in the investments, in that cycle, people tend to pick basically miners, small cap miners for the similar kind of blue sky thematic. Um, So the risk return is similar for small cap um, explorer miners as is biotechs. So when you've got inflation running hot, people tend to chase miners. When inflation is nowhere, then biotechs do well. Right. So okay. that's why I've been staying out of biotechs. Um, uh, but, geez, I love the thematic. I love the blue sky. The market will flip at some point, but it's not there at the moment. And But in this particular category, I think Scott's right. It's just too hard to know. You've got you to really trust management and you have to back them and you've got to be willing to sit there for a long time. And if you're putting money into a biotech, you can't pick one or two. You've got to be investing in about a four or five and hopefully one of them will do well for you. It's high risk. Um, so in that scenario, this is not there for me. Right. Uh, but look, it's interesting enough that I want to keep it on my list and keep okay. an eye on it. If they deliver, then I'll look back at it. All right, let's go to uh, a behemoth of the uh, health sector. Ramsey Health, one of the largest private healthcare providers in the world, 460 facilities across 10 countries. Private equity tried to have a go at the Mathan, uh, couldn't pull it off. What do you think of Ramsey Health? Uh, look, I mean, it's, I think it's a great business model. Um, Ramsey's, uh, you know, the founders have done well. Um, I think you've got to look at where we are in the cycle as far as the costs are going to go. This is going to go higher for costs. So it'll struggle. It gets a lot of uh, money rebates from the government and every government is trying to reduce their deficits. <laughs> Forget about surplus. They're just trying to reduce their deficit at the moment over the next decade, hopefully. Um, so in that context, there is challenges. There's always fights between the hospital system and the insurers. So uh, yeah, it's a tough sector, but it's got property. Anything that's got property in this kind of market, private equity is all over it like a cheap suit. So uh, I do not think private equity is going to leave them alone. I think you'll get more dancing partners coming. Uh, I think the hospital system still remains relatively supported by the governments because they just can't build new systems. So in that context, they want these guys. So I think Ramsey holds up. It's not, I hate to use the word, it's not sexy. It's not going to do much for you, but it's solid. It gives you a decent uh, little yield, but in this kind of environment, you've got bond yields giving you better yield, so why would you? So in that context, yeah, the argument for investing in Ramsey struggles for me, but look, if you're there, I I don't think it's gonna underperform too much because if it does, someone will come uh, looking for it. So I think it's okay, 
But yeah, it doesn't excite me. So okay. it's a hold. Hold for you. But I think the upside is limited. Okay, Scott. I think that's a really good summary. I can't add actually much more to that okay. than Nathan's already added. It's pretty expensive. The dividend yield's pretty low. It's a really great business, but I think it's actually got to the point of being a little bit X growth. And I think uh, we we recommended it at the Multi We now had it as a, have it as a hold for a while. And it's just because they've never been able to, or haven't been able since we recommended it, to actually deliver that growth. It's just, it's so big. Uh, and the capital intensity, which as Mathis says, private equity loves, also makes it difficult for them to invest at, at reasonably high rates of return. So it's just kind of fallen under its own weight a little bit, I think. There's only so much you can do from here as an ASX listed company, particularly at a pretty premium valuation. I got down at 44 times earnings now. Um, I, I think Mathis probably right at some point, private equity will simply come and make another bid for it. So the downside's probably at least for now, a little bit limited. Um, but I also don't think the upside is particularly strong either. And I guess it depends on how long you want to wait for that potential bid to come through yeah. if it does. Um, I just don't know how the price goes much higher from here, honestly. Maybe they can turn something around all of a sudden. But again, same story, right? Lots of inflation going on. What are they, you know, massive costs, uh, staff costs on top of that. I just, I don't know how this one is a market okay. beater from here. I think it's going to do quite a bit. I'd, I'd be holding this one. All right. If you're a... Your defensive investor, otherwise, you almost get close to selling, I think. Okay. Uh, Jeremy wants a view, Scott, on GUD, the uh, automotive and uh, water pumps, basically, business. The automotive is, is the biggest automotive part. Um, Batcorp came up yesterday on the call and got a tick from uh, Mark Gardner and Francesco Destratus, but uh, they preferred GUD in this space. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not quite as bullish as they are, I have to say. The financials have not been particularly good. Uh, any growth they have had has largely come through share dilution. I think shares have gone from 89 million to 140 uh, odd million, maybe 120 okay. million over the past two or three years. And so if you look at the top line, the bottom, the bottom line growth, it looks really good until you actually score it back on a per share basis. Uh, and it's one of those things where, you know, there's a lot, of, lot going on, a lot of potential gains. It looks good. Uh, but the, the results themselves haven't actually, on a per share basis, done much at all. Right. They're pretty much dead flat. What that's also meant, by the way, is returns in equity have also fallen. So thus far, at least, if you were going to raise the capital, issue these shares to try and generate higher returns on equity, that's failed. Uh, per share earnings haven't fallen far, so I guess you're probably feeling okay about that. It's not particularly expensive. It's 12-odd times earnings. So I guess, you know, it's hard to run away from this one necessarily. Um, but uh, there's just not much to recommend it. It does mm. seem like there's... You know, a lot going on, not much coming out. Maybe they're getting ready for something. Maybe this does start to pay off in, in, in times to come. If you're looking for something cheap, I mean, maybe you're going to look at this one. Um, I, I must have missed the program yesterday, so I'll have to go back and see what the guy said. But um, I just, I don't see how you buy it. I said, maybe you're putting yeah. together a bargain basket. Maybe GED falls into that category just. But at 12 times earnings, I, I, I would have almost said sell. I'll, I'll go hold, but... Right. Um, you know, just because it's too cheap probably to sell at this point, the results have not been particularly encouraging so far for mine. Yeah, it's really important point you make about the dilution as well. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I would have thought this is a classic ugly buy. It's been bashed up, but the numbers just don't stack up. There's something wrong in this. Um, it just doesn't. I mean, I want to get, um, I mean, when I look at it simply on the numbers and looking at the price where it's trading relative to where it was and and you think, oh yeah, this should be doing okay. I mean, it's trading near pandemic lows. Um, but then you look at all the numbers and you go, it doesn't stack up, it's not doing well. Um, so it's one of those ones where, you know, this is what, uh, it's a classic value trap. That's what worries me um, because it looks cheap, but numbers are bad and they might go even lower. So in that context, it's a billion dollar market cap. 
It's not like a small microcap that you're picking. So it's a decent size and it's not doing well. And it's pretty cheap. In, I mean, relative to where it was pre-pandemic, it looks cheap. Um, so in that context, you know, if you, if you haven't benefited from the boosters that have come through, then you've got to have a structural upside and you've got to have a turnaround story. I don't see that yet. So it's interesting because it just looks bloody ugly, but I don't think just because it's ugly, you want to jump into a stock. I think you need to see the, why you're going to be buying the turnaround, and I don't see that yet. Yeah. So again, it's one I want to keep on my shopping list, but I don't see the reason why it should turn around. You could be sitting on this going sideways for a period of time, so yeah. okay. not there yet. Uh, final stock, Andre Mate, I want to view on Tab Corp after it spun out its lottery and keno business that's left with wagering, media and some gaming services. Yeah, look, this is, an, uh, um, I suppose, the bad part of um, what was left, the good side uh, got split out. And, <laughs> and and the bad one, you know, as with history, the bad one actually does well <laughs> and it's okay. it's done well. But is this going to surprise you? Probably not. Is this a okay business? Yes. Um, I'm not getting overly. These are these are kind of stocks. I think you get excited in a low yield environment, um, but in a high yield environment, the low buy is raised. So I don't think it's going to shoot the lights out. So you kind of stuck there, looking at it, going, well, what can it do? Um, I think the growth is tough, um, and. Look, I think it's a, a good hold. It's a good enough business. I think mm. it'll hold up. Okay. But I just don't see a massive growth story in there. And if you're playing the yield thematic, you know, as, as we said before, when the bond yields are 4%, the yield thematic has got a really high bar. So yeah. it gets a bit harder. So I, for me, it's a classic hold. It doesn't get me excited. Yeah. Well, the share price doesn't look exciting since they, they spun out the lottery call, does it, Scott? No, not much going on there, Koshi. Uh, Nate, Nate's going to give it a great summary of what's going on as well with the business. And this is the this is the challenge. We started with Bluebet. We're kind of ending up roughly yep. where we started when it comes to to wagering. And and look, I, I think it's a really good thing they split this business up. I think it makes you know, frankly, the only people who make money from these things are investment bankers. You merge Tab and Tattersalls, then you break them back apart and call it lottery corporations if it's something different. Uh, the same happens over and over and over again. The people who make money are investment bankers. The poor shareholders left to wonder what all the fuss was about. But it's the right thing to break it back apart, I think, because it lets investors look at both individually. It also incentivizes the management of each company to, to do their best with those particular assets. But as Nathan, as Nathan said, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure this is a bad business, but it's, you know, it's a very different business to what the Lottery Corporation is. Lottery Corporation, very big business, super cash generative, pretty low growth business. You know, it'll tick along, grow a little bit with GDP, inflation, the occasional jackpot. Tabcorp's got a good work cut out for it. This is... The, the, the good thing about splitting this up is they are fighting with some scrappy multinational you know, bookies who are trying desperately to find ways of taking and colonizing the country. Yeah. With the Lottery Corporation, Tab Corp eventually probably dies. The wagering gaming businesses probably die you know, under the, under the foot of the others. Now, they've got some state-based wagering agreements, at least for now. They let them focus on that. But I have to say it is a weaker business. It's a less valuable business. And I think it's a riskier business. And I yeah. don't think there's enough there to say it's worth buying. Um, it may well do okay, but the same things apply. It's obviously much bigger, more profitable than Bluebet, but the same international challenges, the same structural challenges, mm-hmm. potentially regulatory risks and issues to deal with as well. Um, at the current price, you know, a lot is expected of Tabcorp. I think that's probably too too optimistic. So uh, <laughs> I don't mean, I don't mean uh, you know, negative Neville, but I reckon I'd be selling this one as well. Okay. All right. Okay, gents, thank you for that. Um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fall, always great to catch up, sir. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you, Koshi. And likewise, Maitland Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Good to see you, mate. Yeah. Talk soon. Uh, let's just recap the uh, the final five stocks for this half hour. Suncorp, a sell from Scott, a hold from Maitland, Trajan, a no from both. Ramsey, a hold from both. Uh, GUD, a hold from Scott, a no from Maitland. And Tabcorp, a sell from Scott and a hold from Maitland. Uh, if you'd like uh, me to put any of your stocks to uh, our expert panel on your behalf, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the Osbiz TV handle. You can find all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Uh, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and the investment committee meeting for December is coming up very quickly after the break. The small caps with the Dean. Don't go anywhere. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.